Radio. Five Tips for Dating. A talk by Drake McAllister at the Immaculata Mission School 2013. Held at St Thomas Beckett Parish in Lewisham, Sydney. So the dating talk. Woohoo. All right. So the short answer is don't. All right. Thank you. We'll see you. Go off to share groups. All right. Um, so my dad was kind of a forerunner in the world of creative parental involvement with dating. So I had two older sisters, and here was his rule. If you wanted to take one of my sisters out, you had to call him and ask for permission. Anybody ever have a dad? Is that your dad? One, two? If a girl wanted to take you out, she had to call? Uh-uh. Uh... So my sisters, if they were at school and there was some young guy, hey, would you like to go out Friday night? Yeah, sure, I'd love to. But first you have to call my dad. He'd be like, oh, I guess I'm busy. i got to wash my car or something. Okay. It was an awesome first line of defense for all the creeps, right? And, uh, and then, but those that would persevere through the first line of defense, you got to call my dad. They'd say, okay. So then this one guy, though, he called my dad, and he asked for permission but, but actually, before I asked for permission, he said, why do I have to call and ask you for permission to take out your daughter? And he said, well, if you were going to borrow my car, don't you think I would want to know who it is that's borrowing my car? I wouldn't just loan it to a stranger. How much more important and valuable to me do you think my daughter is than my car? And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> don't wreck the car. Don't touch my daughter. All right. Um, and uh, and it, it actually worked, worked, worked quite well. My, my sisters survived. They both are now married, and they have a whole house full of kids that are now largely grown. And, um, and it was... Uh, it was, it was good. They, they were very proactive parents. And uh, so let, let's, let's just survey the room here real quick. How many uh, still grade, in grade 12 or under in this room? Raise your hand. In grade 12 or under. All right. So not the majority, but a good amount. So everybody else is over grade 12. I can do the math. All right. Um, so... Uh, all right, good. That helps me know kind of the nature of the room here. So here's my first question, and I want to jot some answers on the board. Why date? Why, no, let, let me be more, more specific. Why do people date? Why do people date? Jody. To find love. All right. I started the night with this guy, and somewhere over the clam chowder, love appeared. And, uh, okay. To get to know the person. Hey, I just met you. This is crazy. <laughs> uh, anybody ever had one of those? I had a blind date once. I won't tell you all my dating stories, but uh, you got to have at least one blind date in your life just to say you've done it. Um, okay. To prove yourself. 
And are, is this like a competitive dating? Like you invite a guy out and for a head-to-head challenge? <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I've, somebody wants me. You know, okay. S- to, to find somebody that you're compatible with. Is that what you said? All right. So compatibility. Find compatible. All right. Finding the soulmate. We're kindred spirits. To move around in the food chain. The food chain. And are, are you the aggressor? And you're on the hunt looking for some prey? Okay, so I see. You're trying to move up in the, in the dating ranks. Like, there's this girl. She's out of your league. What can I do to get in that league? Okay. Um, um, uh, stalker. Let's just put stalker. <laughs> just put stalker. <laughs> All right. Free food. Yes. Now we're down to the heart of it. To, to know when to run. Um, run, yeah. If this guy shows up, run. That's just the bottom line. <laughs> Only after you've got your free food. <laughs> All right. Now we're done. Now we're off to share groups. Don't you feel edified? No. Um, okay, so lots of reasons why you date. You may want to date. You have dated. Uh, hopefully, if you're married, you've stopped dating, uh, unless it's with your spouse. So uh, let's, let, let, let's erase these here, and we'll, th- th- this will tie in to everything that we're going to unpack here briefly, and then I want to make sure we have some good time for practical questions. So here's how I'm going to define dating, because if we don't define something, it's a little difficult to talk about what it is. So for the purposes of this talk, I'm going to define dating as this. An exclusive relation, exclusive romantic relationship. And, and I put romantic in there just meaning that this is between a guy and a girl, that there is affection here more than just, uh, just friends. So, but an exclusive, so between two people that, that are, uh, where, so it's not open to still seeing other people. So that's That's how I'm going to define dating for the purposes of what I'm going to unpack here. And then we'll get plenty of time for questions um, as we go. So if you've got a Bible, flip to Genesis chapter 3. We've got to go to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. I want to offer a couple of initial reflections. And then I want to give you, off of these reflections... Four principles, five principles, concrete principles for dating. So let's start back in the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. So God creates chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 comes along. Satan, snake, talking, tree, fruit, Eve, eat. She says yes, eat, sin happens, right? So now... Adam and Eve have both eaten, and this takes us chapter 3 to, let's pick it up at, let's pick it up at verse 6. We'll kind of lead in. 7 is where I want to go, but let's look at 6. So verse 6 says, 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, and he ate. They both sinned. Now verse 7 is the big aha moment that hopefully will give us some clarity. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. After they sinned, their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Here's what I want you to catch. The first result of sin is that men and women were damaged in their ability to look at each other in purity. You could just imagine, they ate the fruit, all of a sudden they're standing there, and Adam's looking over going, dude, check you out. And Eve's going, stop it, you just, you're horrible. She runs and grabs some bushes and covers up. Uh, At that moment... They lost the ability to look at each other in purity. They knew they were naked and there was shame. They had to cover up. And I don't, I don't want to rush past this real quick. Because of sin, the relationship between men and women is damaged. Not only are we damaged between our relationship with God, but with one another. And I think it's profound that it's the first mentioned effect in Scripture of sin. It's not the spiritual, it's, which, which did take place, but it's this physical problem that now exists. Men and women no longer look on each other with purity. And innocence. We have a distorted view of each other. And you go a little later in chapter 3, and it says to the woman something really interesting. So God gives the serpent some curses, the woman and the man. So Adam and Eve and the serpent. Verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your chain, uh, pain in childbearing. In pain you will bring forth children. Then it says, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now it's an interesting, it's an interesting phrase there. How how is part of the curse that your desire will be for your husband? Now Adam gets a whole set of curses as well. By the sweat of your brow you're going to labor, thorns and thistles in the ground. Um, And we see all this profoundly recapitulated in the cross of Christ and the crown of thorns and praying in the garden and and where he restores and um, completes all that Adam failed to do. But it says to Eve, your desire will be for your husband, as if, did God make her to not desire Adam? Well, no, it's not that she didn't desire her husband, but because of the fall, there's now disordered desire disordered desire on her part and disordered relationship 
on Adam's part, because what does it say? Your husband will rule over you. And hence sets up the next several millennia of tension between men and women. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin. And, and what I, the, reason why, the reason why I want to start with this in talking about dating is if you want to have a fruitful relationship that leads to marriage, you have to deal with sin. If you do not deal with sin, you will constantly view the other in a disordered perspective. Women will be looking for something from men that they can never give. Men will be looking for something from women that they can never give. Because at the core, it's a problem of sin. I'll say one more thing. You see this profoundly manifested in the way in our culture women act and men act. Now, how many of you have seen any guys in like midriff half shirts, little tiny tank tops, the spaghetti straps, and little shorty shorts? Anybody this week? See any of my guys running around? No. Because if we dress like that, most of the girls would say, oh, would you stop it and just put some clothes on? You're grossing me out. Nobody needs to like see my gut, right? Oh, are you turned on now? Men and women process things differently. Have you ever wondered why do guys get to wear as much clothes as they want and women wear as little clothes as they want? Why does that just naturally happen? Because there is a disordered desire in us because of sin. I remember I was out to dinner once with my, with my wife and there was a girl there. Her top was as low as it could be. The skirt was as short as it could be. Her heels were as high as they could be. And then the guy is just like in ripped jeans and the sloppy baggy shirt. And like she can just barely move. You know, if she goes anywhere, it's, it's you know, it's, um, it's precarious. And, and I, I was looking at that thinking, why do women put up with this? And how do guys get away with this? Her desire will be for her husband. I mean, well, she has a disordered desire. Because of the fall, women naturally attract through disorder. They attract through their physical body. And, and you feel it. And a lot of times the pressure comes not actually from guys. It's the other women, right? Pressure from each other, keeping up styles, whatnot, but sometimes guys as well. And then the guys, our greatest sin outlet because of the fall is how we perceive our sisters. We're happy to oblige them in their lack of clothing, or maybe, it's, maybe you're covered, but your clothing is just crazy tight for the ladies. And the guys have no problem with that. They like that. And guys, and especially today's culture, find themselves given over into the sin of pornography because it feeds their eyes and the women are often happy to oblige. Now, we're going to look here in Ephesians in a second and thanks be to God, we all get redeemed. But what I want to underscore is that it is sin that is at the root 
of the relational difficulties in our culture. When you personally deal with your sin, find your identity in Christ, you will become that for which you were created and then have the true capacity to love another for their sake, for their good, not for what you can get. So I say that here at the outset to underscore all that's taking place this week. God has made the attraction of men to women and women to men. He's put that in us, and that is good. But it needs to be purified as God intended through Christ. Ephesians 4 Ephesians chapter 4, 17 and following, talks about leaving the futility of our secular thinking. And in verse 21, or 22, it says, put off the old man, Ephesians 4, 22, put off the old man that belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt through deceitful lusts. And it says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new man, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So the first fundamental principles with seeking the opposite sex is you've got to deal with sin and you need to renew your mind in Christ. Women, you need to be purified on how, what it is you're looking for, acceptance and relationship and love and affection and how you portray yourself. And, and, and it's, I'm not saying any of this is easy. We live in a culture that makes these things exceedingly difficult. And men, you need to purify your minds on how you see your sisters, how you are going to live for them sacrificially, how you're going to lay your life down, how you can value them for the sake of who they are, not see them as objects. So we've got to deal with sin. We need to renew our minds in Christ. All right, now this is going to lead up to my five brief points here. Number one. Number one. This is coming from... All right, number one is... Do not awaken love too soon. This comes from Song of Songs 3, 5. We read in the Song of Songs, and it's this profound tale about relationships and all kinds of drama going on in here. And what it says specifically is, do not awaken love too soon. So now I'm talking to the still in high schoolers on down. Do not awaken love too soon. It's like you've squeezed toothpaste out of a tube before, and then you realize, oh, crud. I want to get the toothpaste back in. It doesn't go back in. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Once you have given yourself over to another, it's very hard to take yourself back. Now, thanks be to God, all things can be restored in Christ. 
But do not awaken love too soon. The time, especially high school on down, if that's where you are, this is a time to grow up as a person, grow in your relationship with Christ, grow in your relationship with others. It is not a time to invest your heart in something that has its ultimate fulfillment in marriage, which we're getting to in just a moment. So do not awaken love too soon. Guard your heart. Friendships are good. Social settings are good. Doing things together are good. But guard your heart. Number two, exclusive dating is preparation for marriage. And I'll put down here Matthew 19. Jesus' chapter on marriage. Now, so this is why I say do not awaken love too soon. If you are not ready to get married, there's no reason to be in an exclusive dating relationship. The purpose for a dating relationship, I'll take questions, hold on to your question, write it down if you don't want to forget it. I want to get through these five and then take questions. Uh, exclusive dating is preparation for marriage. Any dating that is romantic in nature, that's not just friends doing stuff, that's totally just platonic and friends, needs to be ordered towards marriage. So I've got daughters. We have dances. They'll go to dances, and they'll dance with boys, and they'll have a great time. There's no problem going to dances. No problem being around boys. No problem dancing with boys. No problem. Um, they get a group of friends. They go over the house. They watch a movie or something. Great. That's, that's all fantastic. But the purpose of dating in an exclusive relationship where I'm committed to you, you're committed to me, and we're not going to be messing around with each other, presumes that that relationship can have a final ultimate fulfillment, which is marriage. If you can't, if you're not ready for marriage, exclusive dating is not for you. Now, let me give one other principle. If you're in the place of serial dating, date, break, date, break, date, you know, date, break up, date, break up, date, break up, uh, that's kind of what I grew up with. My high school days, I, we had no other concept of anything else, even in, in the, the Protestant group I was in. Um, and so I had tons of girlfriends all the time. I can mark all my high school years by what girlfriend I had. Um, and, uh, and I had many friends that just did serial dating. And what I've seen now in many of the others around me is that when you subject yourself to this, I'm committed to you for these three weeks, no, I'm not. I'm committed to you for six months, mm, no, no, I'm not. I'm committed to you for a year, and no, no, I'm not. That's really just a warm-up for divorce. It's good practice for divorce. It's not good practice for marriage. Marriage is till death do you part. Now, and what I'm speaking to there is not that once you're in a relationship, you have to stay there forever, but to that the mentality of casual, social, exclusive dating that does not have marriage as its goal. That we're just exclusively together. It's romantic. It's physical. It's a relationship. We just need something to do on the weekends. Whenever it ends, okay, it's over. Uh, that does not prepare us for marriage. Now, to be sure, as Chris talked beautifully about his relationship for the half that were in here with Mariana, 
as they formally entered into, yeah, we think the Lord is calling us together. Let's, yeah, you finally, you do have to do something together and start being together and doing things and finding out if the Lord has the two of you together. That's normal. That's fine. And they may get a few year, you know, uh, years. No, probably, hopefully not years. Maybe they may get down the road and find that, that, uh, the, that they're not for each other. That's okay. That's, that's all part of the process. Hopefully she is for you. She's pretty nice. She's an upgrade for you. That's for sure. I mean, not that she's an upgrade. I'm meaning that you get upgraded. Uh, I'm not sure that came out right. <laughs> I mean, the bottom line is every guy that gets married, you know, it raises everything in his world because um, um, God bless the women in our lives. They bring sanity to our worlds. Um, all right, number three. Let me give you number three. Do not, do not date a non-Christian. Some of you are going to hate this. Uh, do not date a non-Christian. If sin is at the root of the problems between men and women, and the only way to definitively reconcile this issue is in Christ and through Christ, do not date a non-Christian. This was a conviction that was just drilled into me as a young man, saying, Drake, choose Christ in every aspect of your life. Choose Christ in every aspect of your life. Um, And this includes ones you would want to date. And this is why we must be very cautious to whom we give our heart Because we can find ourselves um, attached to another very quickly. I want to look here at the scripture I read the other night. 2 Corinthians 6.14, FF means following, and the following verses. But the very first verse says, Do not be mismated with unbelievers. Some translations say, do not be unequally Yoked, and what what is a yoke? It's a beautiful picture, like two, you know, bull bulls get uh, yoked together to pull a plow to plow a field. So the yoke, you're you're together with another, and the picture is: do not be unequally yoked, because you're going to pull different directions. You're going to have different desires. Paul goes on here and says, "For what partnership?" Have righteousness and iniquity. What fellowship has light with darkness? And he goes on. We went over this the other night. Do not date non-Christians. Why? Because dating is preparation for marriage. You want to date people that you can marry. And if you marry one who's not in Christ, that's going to impact your marriage, the holiness in your marriage. That's going to impact your children, raising your children, going to church. If you're a woman and you've got a man who is not a godly, Christ-centered man, that's, you have just sold out the spiritual headship of your home. Guys, if you have a woman who is not a Christian and you marry her, then you have, you have just sold out the primary nurturer of your children as one who's not in Christ. Now, does that mean everybody who's not a Christian is bad and evil and would make horrible fathers and mothers? No, not at all. 
Not at all. There's many stories of people being redeemed all along the way, before marriage, during marriage, after marriage. God can do lots of things. As a principle, though, you don't start by looking for those who are outside of Christ. And specifically, when I had the talk the other day about Catholics or Christians, and I should put a qualifier here, it's a good place to put it, and I specifically mean Catholic Christians. Because if you have a Jesus-loving Protestant and you marry them, that still introduces all kinds of tensions into the marriage. Now as you're raising your children, whose, whose beliefs win? It's better because they're at least in Christ, but you want to have somebody that you have complete union with. All right, number four. No physical contact. Okay, let me qualify it. That doesn't mean you can't, like, touch your... Get your hands off me. Um, We're talking about uh, physical, sexual kinds of uh, contact. No physical contact before marriage. No physical contact before marriage. Marriage. I'm going to give you 1 Corinthians 6.13 here. So here's the deal. And I'm sure you know this already. Guys and girls process things different. God has designed men and women to be attracted to each other. The attraction is good. There is nothing wrong with the attraction. There is nothing wrong with the desire. There's nothing wrong with sexual desires. God has given that to draw men and women together to have its ultimate fulfillment in marriage. And once you're married, have at it. If you're not married, have none of it. Why? Because you can't turn the switch off. You can't just, well, we'll just make out a little bit. Well, you begin to arouse passions that have their ultimate fulfillment in sexual intercourse. And ladies, what you need to know is guys don't really have an off switch. It just kind of is on all the time. Um, and, and why is that? I just want to actually talk biologically just for one second. God has designed it that way on purpose. Women, you have a cycle, right? I've got six women in my home. I'm very aware of the cycles. <laughs> you have a cycle. You're, you can only conceive at certain times, right? You have a fertile period, so many days a month. It wouldn't work for men to also have just a fertile period, so many days a month. And then occasionally these fertile periods line up, and then you somehow get a kid. God designed it very intentionally. Women, you cycle. You're back and forth. You're emotional. You're up. You're down. You do what women do. God bless you. Thank you for being women. Guys, on the other hand, are just always on all the time. Because when you're fertile, they have to be ready. God designed it that way on purpose. That's why sexuality is reserved for marriage. There's nothing wrong with it. At all. And in a a dating relationship, you don't need to go here because this begins to skew everything. It gives false sense of acceptance, false sense of love, false sense of security, and sets us up for many, many, many hurts, aches, pains. 1 Corinthians 6, I won't go and read the whole thing, talks about Real specifically saying, talking specifically to men, if you unite yourself to a prostitute, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? 
and you have united yourself to another. And it says that the two become one flesh. Now, the two one flesh is not bad, but this needs to be in the context of marriage. So you don't want to even start down that road. I used to ask when I was a kid in high school, how far is too far? Until finally somebody said, that's the wrong question. Because I just want to know how much can I get away with? You know, how close can I get to the line? So I'm going to give you the line because I know somebody out there is wondering, well, how far is too far? So to keep you from asking it in front of everybody, I'm going to give you a line that you're just going to say you are nuts. Here's the line. Guys, if you wouldn't do it to your sister, don't do it on a date. And if you would do it to your sister, come talk to me later. We have other issues. <laughs> that is the principle. Why? Because you have no claim to her body until you're married. Zero. She is not yours. Regardless if she's making herself available, the world is in dire need of men who will say, no. Most guys are good at stopping when the girl says, no, no more. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. We are in dire need of men who will say, no, I will not take from you what is reserved for another. If you wouldn't do it to your sister, if you wouldn't do it to your brother, you shouldn't do it in a relationship. You may say, that is just hardcore. Well, yeah. Why? Because love does no harm. We read in, in uh, Romans 13.10 the other day. That's the first part of the verse. How love fulfills the whole law. The first part says, love does no harm. When I am physically involved with another, I am taking from them. Because it cannot have the proper fulfillment in marriage. And so... I am, I am doing harm to them. The reality is, unless you're married, you're kissing somebody else's wife. You're kissing somebody else's husband. And you are taking from them. I've got this piece of tape up here. For many that just find themselves sexually, physically active over and over and over and over and over, eventually... The significance wears off. The specialness wears off. And it just becomes another thing that ends up not sticking anymore. And you're just like, what's another, what's another relationship? Uh, Jesus is very clear in Scripture. Paul is very clear all throughout Scripture. Um, God designed the physical attraction, and he designed a place for it to be totally lived out, and that's in the context of marriage. And up until then, the world is dying for men who will stand up and lead, be leaders physically. Now, I had successes and failings during my time before I met my wonderful wife. Successes and failures. And I wish somebody would have given me these principles before. But again, we didn't even really have a concept of these things. Because I would give back every single relationship I had prior to meeting my wife. Because every one of those relationships were very self-serving for me until the Lord got a hold of me, reformed me, and where I stopped just looking for women and waiting for God to bring someone to me who was a perfect fit.
Treat others as you want them to treat you. Again, that doesn't mean good. Well, I want physical relationship, then you give to me. No, it's you want to be respected, valued, cherished. Don't take from another what is not yours. Again, I want to underscore, as Chris laid out in the first talk for those that were here, God has designed our bodies and given us bodies, and he's given us sexual expression. Those things are good. And he's given us a context for which when we're in that context, he says, have at it. Enjoy one another. Last thing, number five. Pray. Pray, 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 pray for your spouse-to-be. My, from the time my girls were little, when I, would, when I, as their father, would pray for them before bed, I began to pray. Not only they'd have a good night's sleep and everything, but I would pray in their hearing. I wanted them to hear this. I would say, God, if you should call my daughters to religious life, make that clear in the proper time. And Lord, should you call my daughters to marriage, I pray right now for that young man who they will marry, that you would transform his life. You need to start doing that now for the one that you will marry. Begin to pray for them. My wife, I found out not till years later, she had made a whole list of things that she wanted, attributes in her husband. And she was really specific. So Philippians 4 through 7 says, let your requests be made known to God. It's always, Lord, your will be done, but that doesn't mean you can't say, Lord, here's what I would like. Jesus at the cross, if I can, this cup can pass, please let it pass, but your will be done. Here's how specific my wife was. She had on her list, she wanted somebody who was not super involved or somebody that really followed sports. <laughs> I didn't find this out until like last year. And I said, really? That was on your list? Because I enjoy sports, uh, but I, I definitely have zero desire to follow sports. I tell people, I'm a playoff fan, meaning if my team makes the playoffs, I become a fan. You know, it's the worst kind of, it's the worst kind of fan. Totally fair weather. And I thought, you put that on your list? I said, wow, the Lord delivered. Because... I'm just not into that. But she put a whole host of things. And it was funny. Our very first date. Yes, and it was a date. Dating is not evil. Our very first date at the college she was at, they had a square dance. Who's ever been to a square dance? Anybody? A couple people? All right, next mission school, we need a square dance. You know, bring your partner round and round. Kick him in the butt and knock him down. No, it doesn't go like that. Um... (laughs) Anyway, we had a square dance, so we put on jeans, dressed in plaid, and went to go sit on the hay bales and have a square dance. But beforehand, we went to dinner, and we're sitting there eating. We're having delightful conversation, and we had met each other through a college youth group. And so we're having this delightful conversation, and my wife-to-be is slowly going through her checklist, unbeknownst to me. So, what about this? Oh, oh, what are you, are you interested in? She's going through all of these things, and I have no clue. We're just eating. And, uh, and she knew, she told in her testimony the other night, she knew that Lord had called her to marry a man who would be in full-time ministry. She knew nothing about what I wanted to do, and she thought, there's no way he wants to go into ministry, so this is my out. So she got through her whole list. 
She finally asked, so what do you want to do with your life? Said, well, you know, I just think the Lord's really called me into full-time ministry. And she's just like, Ugh. <laughs> oh, crud. And I, I, I tell you the truth. I left that night. I went home, told my best friend, I found my wife tonight. On the first date. Why? Because I finally had purified what I was looking for. I finally was reconciling my sin. I was finally not using women for my pleasure. Now, I didn't tell her that. She would have ran screaming. Ah! But we met, dated nine months. I proposed. We were engaged another six and then married. She was 19, had just turned 20 when we got married, and I was 22. Pray for what it is that you want. Pray that God will bring this to you. He will. But it has to always be open-handed. It must be open-handed. Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. You follow these principles. Don't, don't start too soon. You're in high school, younger. Give it time. Enjoy life. Live your life with relationships, with no regrets. Exclusive dating, that has to come at some point. You, you, at some point, you have to be Jeff and Katie, who let's do stuff together for a while, and, and the next thing you go across the world and propose, and it's romantic, and it's awesome. But, but make sure you have the capacity for marriage. And if you do, then great. Be vigilant. Don't choose someone who's not in Christ. You are inviting somebody into your world in the most intimate union you can ever have this side of heaven. And someone who will profoundly impact not just your life, but the souls, the eternal souls of your children. No physical contact. Just be vigilant. Marriage is coming. If, it's, if marriage is there, it's going to happen. And you'll have all the physical contact you want. And, and let me just say this in passing. For those, people say divorce rates and all these problems and the, aren't Catholics, don't they get as divorced as much as everybody else? Here's the truth. The Catholics that actually follow the teaching of Jesus Christ don't live together before marriage. Don't have sex before marriage. Once you're married, don't contracept. Be open to life. You know what the divorce rate is for those folks? Like 2%. Jesus works. Lots of people who keep messing with Jesus and they complain that it doesn't work. Well, it's because you haven't tried it. Jesus works. That was Drake McAllister with Five Tips for Dating. For more from the Immaculate Mission School, visit cradio.org.au.